Welcome to the Big Fellas Podcast, where we chop it up about all things past, present, and future about the game of basketball. Where facts, stats, and context reign supreme. That is blasphemous. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. Always keep it real. Get ready to learn from players, coaches, and fans from all levels of the game and see the court in a brand new way. And now, fresh off the sidelines, here's your host, John Hartofillis. What it do, fellas, and welcome to the Big Fellas Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, J.H., coming to you from New York City, the mecca of basketball. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Brian Tabaldi, assistant coach for the Cannon Charge. In this episode, we spoke about Coach Brian's first year with the G League affiliate for the Cleveland Cavaliers, how he got his foot in the door through the video room, and the key differences he's seen along the way. We've got a going in store for you today, fellas. Episode number 37, Brian Tabaldi, Canton Charge assistant coach. Hi, Coach Brian. What's going on? Hey, John. How are you? Good to be with you. It's great to be with you too. I'm really excited to talk to you. And I know you've been, been through so many different parts of the game, whether it's the college game or the professional level. So I'm, I really think it's going to be a really good episode for our viewers. Yeah, I look forward to it. I think what you're doing is great, you know, as a young uh, aspiring coach, just as far as not only building relationships, but also um, sharing the game with each other. I, I'm sure I'll learn just as much uh, from you. Uh, uh, hopefully you'll learn a little bit from me too. Uh, just to start off, can you kind of give us a little bit of a walkthrough on how you first got introduced to the game? Sure. Yeah, I, I really grew up um, with it, you know, um, from birth. My my mom actually was uh, a woman's, she was a Hall of Fame women's basketball coach at the high school and NAIA Division II level. So um, she, you know, was coaching when I was a kid. Um, so I was always in the gym, you know, with her. She was dragging me along to practices. And then my dad, before he became a uh, high school principal, he was a teacher and coach. So before he became an administrator, he had that coaching background. So very much a basketball family um, from the outset for me. And I took to it and I, and I loved it. Of course. And then, I mean, obviously, whether it was being around it as a kid through just watching it or even playing it, it obviously took you to a lot of different avenues. What did a playing look like, whether it was when you were at Michigan and kind of all the steps took you to get there? Well, it's interesting, you know, we all have different paths, but I think the most important thing is, you know, having a passion for it, you know, it, it usually takes you to good places and, and you get to uh, meet and work with a lot of different people that share that passion uh, for the game and, and are in it for the right reasons. Um, from, from my standpoint, I, I went to high school in Traverse City, Michigan, which is kind of like Northern Michigan, not a ton of exposure. And so, I, you know, as a pretty good high school player, uh, probably was a little under-recruited, didn't get a ton of exposure. And so I was, you know, looking at different opportunities, whether that be at the division two level, um, even some small division ones. But I ended up going, actually, like you said, to the University of Michigan. I had been in contact with coaches there. They encouraged me to go there and try to walk on. The funny thing is, is that, um, you know, I ended up, it ended up not working out. I was there at the University of Michigan for two years and I um, ended up breaking my ankle and um, wondered, you know, what's next for me. Maybe, maybe I'll just be a student, um, stay around the game and, and not play collegiately. Um, but I still had the itch to play and I knew I would regret it if I didn't, you know, pursue it. 
the crazy thing is what, what makes my story kind of unique uh, as far as playing goes is that I ended up at Michigan State. Um, I connected with the staff there and nothing was promised to me there, kind of similar uh, in that sense, but I ended up being able to make the team there as a walk-on and uh, played, you know, under Coach Izzo for, for a couple of years, which was amazing experience. And then when I graduated, uh, I was able to get my start in coaching uh, there as a graduate assistant. And that's, that laid such a strong uh, foundation for me. So things have a way of working themselves out, but I was, I was very fortunate to be able to get my start there just as far as the people that I was learning from, the relationships that I formed there, and then the skills, you know, the skills that I, I acquired, what Michigan State taught me, um, just as far as the work ethic. Uh, I learned video, which kind of led to my next avenue, which was getting an opportunity with the Chicago Bulls because I had that video skill and the video room was so respected at Michigan State. So I owe, you know, I wouldn't have had the opportunities um, that I've had in the game of basketball without Michigan State. That, that's been, it laid such a strong foundation for me. That's so great because I, I could draw so many parallels to that. And for the first thing you said, where kind of nothing is guaranteed, it, it's so true. And a lot of people don't really understand. They think you go to a college and, and the coach tells you a verbal agreement there that, that none, none of those things are guaranteed. Injuries happen, scholarship stuff, change, everything changes. And that's something that a lot of people kind of forget, which is it's great that you brought that up. And then also in terms of how you, you ended up going to Michigan State and having a great career and playing there. Um, just, I just out of curiosity, was, was Draymond Green, I know he kind of got there the year after. Did you ever see him or getting recruited or something that you saw him coming to the gym? So Draymond was around the program really um, from around his freshman year of high school on. He, you know, Saginaw wasn't far away. His aunt had played at, at uh, Michigan State. And so he was always coming to games um, and, you know, maybe coming up and playing pickup uh, as a high school kid. And then I actually had the opportunity to, to uh, work with Draymond his freshman year as a grad assistant when we went to the uh, Final Four in 2009. And just to see his growth, even in that year, you know, his first year there, you could tell um, he had a special career ahead of him. Especially seeing someone that's going to be a future All-NBA, all everything, defensive player, all, all the accolades he's kind of achieved. To have seen him even from when he was a high schooler, just watching the program and seeing how he, he's, he's watching with an eye and thinking, oh, you know, I, I have to get so much better to play at that level. And then he just keeps on getting better and better and better. That's awesome. And then I also wanted to touch on too, what I thought was really cool was when you're talking about how you had that skill of, of being in the video room. People are, are looking at a lot more now because you see success stories like Eric Spolster and guys like that who started in the video room and now are head coaches in the NBA or, or, they, or they've advanced their career in some way through the video room. It's, it's great that you were able to talk about how what Michigan State did for you and preparing you for that Bulls job when you're watching. Derek Gross is one of the most exciting players in league history from that video room. And it's, that's obviously must have been a great opportunity for you. It was. It was. I don't even know that you realize it at the time, um, but it, it's a great skill to have. I think, you know, all the coaches um, now, you know, are utilizing uh, video. It's the ultimate teaching tool. And so to, to be able to do it, you know, yourself, to have that skill, to not have to rely on um, even just having your own video guy, right? Uh, it's been a great asset for me just in being able to help uh, players improve to connect with players um, and you know, to help teach and grow their game. Um, film, it's only gonna, it's only gotten better and better and it's only become a bigger uh, part of what we're doing as coaches now, you know, now with being able to send clips immediately, 
you know, to a player after a game on their iPhone, um, as opposed to having to always sit down with them. Um, I think players watch so much more film than they, they used to. So they're coming into games with a different level of preparation. The game is slowing down for them. The reads are, they're seeing their reads clearer. Um, you know, they're, they're becoming more and more familiar with your opponent, all those things. So film is a great, great way um, for people to learn the game, uh, break into the business, because you can really, as a young coach even, you can accelerate your knowledge of the game. Now, you, there's still things that you got to go and get experience in, right? As far as building relationships with players, uh, learning your voice on the floor, you know, um, going through the ebbs and the flows and the ups and the downs of a season. But you have the ability to access um, film from all over the world, you know, and watch all these different styles of play. Um, different defensive schemes, different offensive, uh, you know, continuities and set plays and situational basketball. And um, it's just tremendous how it's grown. And like I said, it's only going to continue to be uh, a larger and larger part of what we do. Do I remember our, our high school coach telling us how in the 90s used to have all these cassette tapes in this huge shelf. And now he has things like Huddle and, and Crossover where he just would send it to us on our phone. And it makes it a lot easier for high school guys to obviously watch it. But imagine the pro guys who are really, really invested into this. So that's, that's great. After, after all that stuff in the video room with the Bulls, what kind of made you go back to the college game? It was two things. You know, my, my first year with the Bulls, I was working more on the coaching side. I was, I was like assistant video. I was really doing a lot involved in, in opponent scouting and working with the coaching staff. And, um, and then, uh, my second year, I was moving more into a role, uh, a front office role that was focused on the draft and player uh, evaluation and um, working with our, our director of scouting, um, doing a lot of operational stuff too, as far as like booking our scouts travels and their, their travel, their credentials, all this just kind of organizing, helping organize the, the draft process and the player evaluation process. And it was, it was fascinating. It was incredible when I look back on it what I learned about the process and and now being able to like share that with players and when I went to college it was great because I knew you know I knew the ins and the outs of the process and what people were going to be looking for and I could help guide some of the players that I was working with in college you know and help prepare them for that process um, but I missed being with the team on a day-to-day -day basis uh, being a part of the team um, and just, you know, that interaction uh, with the players uh, and staff. And so I had an opportunity to go to the University of Missouri, um, which was a great program. And, and at the time, knew the team was poised to be really good, had a really, really good group of guys, seniors um, that were coming back. And so I just I jumped at that opportunity um, to, to go to Mizzou and see where that that took me from there. It's funny to kind of think about how most people would look at something like being in the video room or with everything with credentials and all these scout things as boring. But I mean, when you think about it, I mean, for guys, for guys like us who are basketball, just I would say psychopaths, just fanatics, whatever you want to say, watching film of, D of Derek Rose as a job, like that must have been so much fun. We, um, it was a really valuable experience. One, just being around Derek Rose at that time and just seeing his, you know, you're watching every game and you're just seeing his growth, like game to game was tremendous. Unlike any player I've, I've ever been around as far as just like how much better he was getting so quickly. Um, 
And, you know, that was the height of his, you know, the, he was the youngest MVP in the history of the league. So, you know, but seeing his humility, seeing how he, he didn't change who he was as a person, um, how hard he worked, how hard he competed every night, uh, you know, his, it was, it was tremendous to where, where he was when I came in to where he was, you know, when I went to Missouri, uh, it was night and day. Uh, and it was just so much fun to, to watch, to just sit back and like you said, and, and watch that um, and, and be a part of that with the Bulls organization. So it was, it was tremendous. Um, but the experience that I got with Chicago really helped. I think it helped me um, acquire a lot of different skills too. And it helped my uh, players that I worked with, I think in the future. I mean, even just some of the players that uh, I was limited in the scope of what I could do at Missouri because I was in, an, in a support staff role right? I wasn't an assistant coach. So, but once those guys were done playing uh, eligibility wise, I was able to really help uh, several of them uh, prepare them, you know, on the court for this, these are, this is what's going to happen in a draft workout. This is what it's going to look like. These are the skills that you really are going to need to be able to, to showcase, you know, and this is very much the structure of what it's going to look like. And so being able to help prepare them so that they could thrive in those opportunities was really um, it was rewarding. It was fun, you know, to, to be able to do that for them. Oh, of course. And, and, and in terms of what you're saying about the video stuff, most people think you're watching kind of D Rose back scratcher dunks and all that. But what I think is also really cool that I would learn so much from is that you got to see even the mistakes that he made and you got to, to watch those and analyze them game after game after game and go and, and, and tell him and, and show him. And that learning process must've been absolutely amazing. After, after all that, you, you go and now you're, you're an assistant coach with, with the Canton charge. It was your first season there. That's obviously a whole different world from both the professional game in the video room with the Bulls and then also the coaching games because of how different the G League is. Can you kind of touch on that and kind of what your first impression was of just how different the G League is? Absolutely. My experience in the G League has just been tremendous uh, as far as first, I think people don't understand or appreciate how good the players are in the league. Um, and it's only getting better, right? As the investment from teams now, you, you've seen teams that have invested in it and how it's played a really, really important uh, role in their success at the NBA level. Um, so the investment is only increasing across the league. And as a result, the, the players, the depth of talent in the league is only getting better. Um, but that's the first thing I think that, that struck me was the players were even better than I knew. These are very, very accomplished uh, players, what, you know, at the collegiate level or, you know, some guys that, maybe are younger that uh, came out a little bit earlier that have tremendous uh, upside and potential. So um, I think the G League is just an unbelievable platform for players and coaches to learn um, because it is the emphasis at its core is it's about development, right? So we're in a situation where certainly winning is important, but um, it's not our it's not our primary objective. Our primary objective is to grow and develop, um, you know, players and coaches for that matter. So you, you have the ability to try things, you know, maybe, and uh, that you, you wouldn't be at a more pressurized, you know, MBA uh, level or, or college, even at the, you know, high major college level where there's that uh, assumption, Hey, we got there's that pressure to win right away. Um, and not to say that winning isn't important. It's an important part of somebody's development. You want to teach them to become a winning, winning player. But I think, you know, 
that's what's so great about it is there's outstanding players and there's just such a commitment to uh, the developmental process. Um, and, and then the last thing I'd say that's made me a much better coach is you have to be so adaptable uh, in the G League. Um, night to night, you don't necessarily know who you're going to have on your roster. You're going to have your two ways. Will someone, did someone get called up? And obviously, these are highly productive players for you, right, that you, you're kind of counting on. Um, and so everyone has to be ready. Uh, and you don't necessarily know who your opponent's going to have maybe until a couple hours before the game. So your preparation or your game plan could change a little bit based on who they have, too. So you have to um, be adaptable, and it forces you as a coach to, you know, think uh, one step ahead constantly. And um, so from that standpoint, I just I can't speak enough about my experience in the G, G League has been tremendous. I think I've experienced more growth uh, as a coach, uh, you know, in my time in the G League than maybe uh, across all the profession, all my time in the profession. It's such a beautiful breakdown of how the G League works. And it's interesting because I've had on so many G League coaches and they all kind of say the same thing, all the ones that come from these winning programs, because it's, it's funny how when you focus on development, you put all your efforts into that, the winning kind of just comes naturally sometimes or, 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 or the, or the call-ups just come naturally. And when, when, when you focus too much on that, you kind of forget about the process to get there. But when you focus on that process, it, good things happen. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to get the players to understand too, right? Because the, the end goal for those guys is they want to get to the NBA. That's why they're there. But you can't, you know, you can't shortcut on a day-to-day -day basis. And you have to, you know, you really have to live in the moment of where am I today and try to get better, try to maximize this opportunity today. And if you take that, if you take that mindset, you know, and you build up the good days, then you perform better and you get to a level where, you know, you, maybe you are playing, maybe you are getting a call up, maybe you are getting, uh, a guaranteed contract the next year. Um, so it's really, uh, it's challenging. Um, but if you, in that, in that environment, if you can master that in the G League, it's going to help you uh, as a pro, you know, whether that's playing in the NBA or playing in Europe, you're going to get everything thrown at you and you're going to really learn, man, I just got to take it one day at a time and focus on getting better and focus on the opportunity that I have today and, and you know, block out all the other noise. It's funny when speaking of call-ups though, the one call-up that when I, when I looked up the cops in the Canton charge that really jumped out to me and, and he won't jump out to most people was Sir Dominic Pointer for mm -hmm. the reason I have a special story with him. My first ever, probably the first ever game I'd ever been to in, a, in, a, in a, an arena ever was a St. John's versus Gonzaga game at MSG. I must've been about 12 years old. And he was the first person I ever saw in person dunk on someone else. He, he threw it on, on Gonzaga center <laughs> it, it, at 12 years old. That was the first time I'd always like heard of people getting dunked on and seen videos on, on the internet, but I'd never really seen it in person. So I remember he was someone I always would think about in terms of like, oh yeah, that's my first ever poster dunk. And when I saw that he was on your team and he got called up, I, that, that really stuck out to me. So what have you seen kind of in him and both his transformation on the team and then what he's done since being called up. Tremendous uh, defensive player changes the game with uh, his defense. Uh, he was actually, um, you know, before the season got cut short, he's still only the, he's, yeah, he's the only player in the history of the G League with 80 plus steals and 80 plus blocks. And that's in a shortened season. Um, so, you know, he would make plays that really swung momentum of the game. Um, someone would be going in for what you thought might be an uncontested layup and he comes out of nowhere and blocks a shot and then it leads to a basket or a three the other way and it's a five-point swing 
and he makes plays like that all the time just like incredible uh hands as a defender and timing as a shot blocker amazing athlete um and then offensively i think you know since he left college even he he's grown a lot as far as as a shooter you know he's become a guy that's become a more reliable um spot three point shooter um his game off the dribble you know he's a, he was a second round pick to the to the Cavs i think in 2015 and so he's been on this journey right of um he's played in the G League for 3 years i think he also played a little bit overseas and um for him to get a call up is kind of just re- was really rewarding um and i know it meant a lot to him uh, and it meant a lot to all of us because the organization has been invested in him obviously since drafting them and kind of watched his progress and development. And so, um, you know, hopefully the best is, is yet to come for him. I think, you know, as he's continued to, he's in that mold of a three and D type guy uh, who can, who can guard multiple positions, one through four, um, you know, at the G league level, one through five. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, for him, it's just, it's just a matter of, you know, getting an opportunity and then, you know, making the most of it. Like it is for all of these guys, by the way, that's, that's what you realize in the G league, so much talent, you know, the mindset becomes really, really important of what, what, what are you going to do? You have to stay ready. What are you going to do when you get your opportunity? And, um, you know, you see all kinds of guys like that, like Kendrick Nunn this year, for example, you know, um, got an opportunity in Miami and, and now, you, you know, that's a guy that's looking like he's going to have an established long, career in the NBA. It, it, it's great to kind of think about what that opportunity can do for someone. And it's, and it's great to know, honestly, that after all this hard journey since getting drafted in the, in the late second round, he's actually been able to, to really develop into a, into a young player that I, I actually had no idea about the 80 steals, 80 blocks in a shortened season. That, that's, that's kind of absurd. Yeah. And it's great to know that he's able to, to do stuff, stuff like that. Cause I, I, I just remember the, the poster dunk. If I close my eyes, I can still see it. It's like ingrained in my mind, but to know that he can impact the game in so many other ways and be a winning player in the way you just said, because those are winning basketball plays to be able to have that kind of five point swing, four point swing. I think he, I think he finished second in the defensive player of the year in the G league. And I'm biased, but certainly felt like he should have won it um, just because of his versatility and, and the impact that he had. And then also like what you're talking about in the statistical uh, production on the defensive end was, was unprecedented in the history of the league. So, um, yeah, he was, he was a fun player. He was a lot of fun to coach uh, last year, and I'm excited to see, you know, what the future holds for him. For sure. I'm not sure who does the voting for the G League individual award, but whoever it is, for someone to, what you just said, be able to guard one through five and do something historical and statistically awesome for him. Just one last thing before we wrap up. I, I was curious to know, you've gone through all these stops, you've learned all these new things. What's one piece of advice you'd give yourself maybe when you were still in college around 20 years old, not really knowing where your career would take you, like what, what, what would you tell that that twenty old version of, of Brian Tabaldi? The biggest thing is is just make the most of every opportunity that you get, and just focus solely on that. Um, I think a lot of times we can get caught up on what's the best path to get to, you know, where I want to be. It's it, and it's important to have goals of what you want to do. You know, um, for me, I have that goal of I want you know I want to be a head coach someday. That's that's a goal, but you know, you can't get to that goal if you don't maximize, you know, the opportunities that are in front of you. So uh, even as a, as a young coach, um, you know, whether that's helping out, you know, um, 
locally, you know, with a team, an opportunity that you can get, whether that's collegiately, you know, uh, being a manager, whether you're playing, okay, but always maximizing where you're at and making yourself uh, valuable to the program that you're working for by being great at whatever they ask you to do. Um, and then trying to go above and beyond to acquire new skills that will make you uh, valuable where you're at and then also open doors for you uh, at other places. So I think it's really, really important to just um, focus on where you're at and doing a great job there and then try to build your skill set so that you can make yourself uh, an even greater asset to the program organization that you're working for, but also an appealing uh, you know, candidate for, for other opportunities, you know, elsewhere so that you can go and grow your career and, and get new, um, new opportunities and, and take on more and more responsibility. That's fantastic stuff. And it, and as simple as it might sound, when you really take it on piece by piece, and if, if you're listening, maybe rewind a few times just to really make sure you're taking the whole message in some really key things that if you, if you implement them into both your, your life, your career, whatever it might be, you'll really get some good results. So Coach Brian, thank you so much for coming on today. I really think our listeners learned a lot from this and I, I, sure, I sure did learn a lot too. And I, I hope, as you said at the beginning, you learned some from, something from me as well, maybe. So thank you so much for coming on and I, re I really hope we'll keep in touch and talk again soon. Absolutely, John. Any way that I can help you know, young uh, aspiring coaches is awesome. Uh, I think this is a great you know, thing that you're doing to connect with people. And um, I, I look forward to following uh, your career. And like I said, every path is different. But, um, you know, maximize the opportunities that you have and just focus on you. Don't get into caught into comparing yourself or your path to anyone else. Maximize where you're at and uh, you'll, you'll have a bright future ahead of you. But I, I was happy to connect with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Fellas podcast. Check us out on all major social media platforms at Big Fellas Pod to join the chop up. You can also listen to us on every podcast platform on the planet. Stay tuned for the next episode, Big Fellas.